In this episode of Tracking Through Compliance, we take up the alternative factor. Compliance, the final frontier. Tom Fox is the voyager of Trekking Through Compliance. His mission? To explore the original series and seek out and share what it can teach you about compliance. Here's your host, Tom Fox. The Alternative Factor. In this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, we consider the episode The Alternative Factor, which aired on March 23, 1967, and occurred on Stardate 3087.6. In this story, the Enterprise is rocked by an energy pulse. Spock informs Kirk that the gravity pull of a planet fluctuated to zero and says that the surrounding space seemed to momentarily wink out of existence. Sensors locate a human presence on the planet, which was not previously noted. Spock and Kirk beam down to the planet and find a one-man spacecraft. A disheveled, bearded man named Lazarus appears and accidentally steps off a cliff. The man survives the fall but is injured, and Kirk has him beamed to the Enterprise for a medical examination. Back on the ship, Lieutenant Masters informs Captain Kirk that the mysterious disturbance has drained the dilithium crystals in the warp drive. A message from Starfleet reports that every quadrant has been subjected to the same winking effect and electronic distribution as the Enterprise. That's disruption as the Enterprise. Starfleet fears that the disruption may be a prelude to invasion and has ordered all ships except the Enterprise to leave the area. Kirk is ordered to find the cause of the disturbance. Lazarus frequently fades in and out of the universe, encountering his lookalike enemy in a dimensional corridor, creating an energy wink, rippling time through the universe. Spock reports a rip in time in space and on the planet. Lazarus insists that his enemy trying to destroy the universe is causing the phenomena. Lazarus demands dilithium crystals so he may fix his ship and continue to fight his enemy. Kirk refuses, and Lazarus steals the dilithium crystals from the Enterprise and is caught. Lazarus denies the theft and blames the theft on his yet unseen nemesis. Kirk beams back to the planet with Lazarus and a security team to seek out this hidden enemy. Lazarus has another dimensional corridor episode and is returned to sickbay. Lazarus explains to Kirk that he is a time traveler and the planet below was once his home world. Lazarus claims his enemy destroyed his civilization in the past, for which Lazarus has chased him for centuries. Spock develops a hypothesis that Lazarus is really two men, and his enemy is a counterpart from an antimatter universe. If he and his antimatter self contact each other within either physical universe outside the dimensional corridor, they would destroy each other and annihilate both the matter and antimatter universes. Lazarus slips away from sickbay and creates a diversion in engineering to acquire the dilithium crystals. With the stolen crystals, he beams down to the planet to repair his ship. Kirk follows, but Lazarus activates his time machine just as Kirk tries to stop him. Stepping into the portal, Kirk is accidentally transported to the antimatter universe where he meets the antimatter Lazarus. The antimatter Lazarus calmly admits to sealing the Enterprise's dilithium crystals. He also explains that the dimensional corridor was like a safety valve that protected the two universes from blowing up. He informs Kirk that his people believed two universes existed, and when his matter counterpart learned about it, he went insane and became obsessed with destroying him. He tells Kirk that only by destroying 
the ship with the two Lazarus inside the dimensional corridor which links the two universes, can they be saved? Kirk realizes that this would trap the two men in the corridor forever. Kirk confronts the matter Lazarus and pushes him into the dimensional door. Kirk heads back to the Enterprise, ordering the ship's phasers to target the dimensional ship. The two Lazaruses meet once more and fight inside the dimensional corridor as the phaser vaporizes the ship. So, uh, what's a fun fact about this case? Well, most interestingly, uh, although Robert Brown played the role of Lazarus, he was not the first choice, and actor Drew John Drew Barrymore, who is the father of Drew Barrymore, was originally contracted to play Lazarus, but he didn't show up to wor- uh, work when the filming began. Um, Roddenberry's production company actually filed a grievance against him, and he was um, suspended from obtaining acting work for six months. It was this chaos around the start of the filming that led Robert Brown, who uh, took the place of uh, or started as Lazarus, to say the production filming was very tight and that it was uh, very high tension on the set. This story doesn't get uh, rated too high on Star Trek lists, although I found a lot to uh, enjoy about it. The first one is obviously the name Lazarus with the biblical implications of the Lazarus rising from the grave story uh, from the original Testament or the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible, uh, but also the trope of traveling between universes is something that Star Trek explores extensively throughout its oeuvre and is something that science fiction looks at as well. So I find a lot to commend about this episode, and I hope you will too. So check it out, and if you're so inclined, uh, leave a comment and let me know what you think. So what are the three compliance takeaways uh, from this case? Well, um, the first one is, how do you triage a whistleblower complaint? This is separate and apart from an investigation, but what's your triage protocol? How quickly do you triage a situation? How quickly do you escalate it up? Uh, In uh, this episode, clearly the situation could have been the destruction of both universes. So how quickly do you get the information to the persons who need to make the decision? This information went to Starfleet Command almost immediately, and they were able to uh, pull ships back. Although they misdiagnosed it, at least they triaged that this was a very serious situation. Second of all, um, and really this one actually comes from the Walmart FCPA action, which uh, recently concluded. And what? Uh, how do you expand into new markets and still protect your company from the compliance perspective? Well, I think what you have to really consider is how are you going to scale up your compliance program? You've got to have scalability in your compliance program. Scalability is certainly not something most lawyers uh, have been taught or are familiar with, not taught in law school, but it's a key concept in the entrepreneurial world. So how do you scale up? Uh, Walmart uh, uh, didn't scale up, uh, and we've had numerous other enforcement actions where companies went to an international market and did not scale up. So uh, how do you scale up uh, very quickly, very uh, robustly? And finally, uh, gatekeepers and compliance. Uh, When uh, the legal department, compliance, and internal audit make findings and recommendations, are they uh, brushed aside, are they ignored, are they manipulated, are they uh, allowed to die? If gatekeepers do not have uh, adequate authority 
to follow up, then you've got a real problem with your compliance program. So how are your gatekeepers treated? Join me tomorrow for City on the Edge of Forever. If you enjoyed this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, you can help it grow by sharing it with the biggest Trek fan you know. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.